This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. You know, when I knew you before, you know, you were really full of yourself and uh, you were very judgmental and very grumpy. And, uh, you know, yeah, I suppose I must have been those things. But then now it's different, obviously, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Now, today's passage uh, speaks about how those are exactly the qualities that we shouldn't have if we are Christians, being uh, high-handed and judgmental and cynical and critical. Now, as we come to this part of the Bible, uh, it's very important for us to realize that we're not meant to be moralists or people who are just doing good works, because the Sermon on Mount is actually given to people as a set of qualities or values which you're meant to have as you are already in the kingdom of God. So uh, over the last few weeks, we have seen, if you look up the slide up here, that Jesus was God's king. And he came into the world as a savior and as God to bring in his kingdom. And we saw at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the next slide, that in order to come into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it wasn't because you were such a righteous, good holy person, but you had to be poor in spirit. You had to be meek before God. You had to mourn for your own sinfulness and therefore turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior who would then allow you into the kingdom. Now, once you're in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it meant that you had to have heavenly values, heavenly qualities. You had to express your new identity in Christ. And that meant that you had to not be angry, right? So Jesus says if you're angry, it's the same as murdering someone. It meant that you're not meant to be lustful, because lustful was to be like committing adultery. And it had to be many things to love your uh, enemy, to not take revenge. And we saw that part of being a kingdom person was to watch out for danger. The danger of being like the Pharisee, who was like a hypocrite, where they would do things looking for the praise of men. And, and, and the praise of society and the praise of their peers. But last week, as uh, Nick was preaching, we saw another danger, the danger of being like a pagan. A pagan who worries about the things of this world, worries about chasing after prosperity. That was the other danger. So there were two dangers, right? The dangers of being like a hypocrite, like the Pharisees, the dangers of being like a pagan and worrying about the things of this world. But this week, it deals with a different danger, the danger of being full of yourself, right? Because, you know, you can be so given over to, okay, I'm not a hypocrite and I'm not a pagan, so I'm better than all these people. I'm better than all of you. And I think that attitude is a very easy attitude that we can embody as Christians. So in the earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, Jesus has said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Right? And he says, you know, Show that light to all people. You're like a town built on a hill which cannot be hidden. You're like a lamp on a table. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, he says that your righteousness must surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you put all these things together, you can easily see how if you think that you are the salt and you think you are the light and you think that your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, to be very hypercritical. You can be very judgmental. You can be full of yourself. And that is the context of today's passage. 
where Jesus goes on to say, in chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now what does this mean, the word judged? What what does it mean to judge? Does that mean we shouldn't judge anything? Does that mean we have no opinion about anything? Does that mean that we are not allowed to see if something is good or bad, or right or wrong? Does Does that mean that we're not supposed to judge in that way? Well, if you think about it, if you have look up here in the slide, uh, the word judge here can have three meanings, right? Uh, do not judge in a judicial way. You know, so the, you know, you shouldn't have courts of law where people sentence people for drink driving or taking drugs or, 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 or robbing or murdering. Or the word judge here can mean do not be discerning to distinguish between right and wrong. Or obviously it can mean the word judgmental to be condemning. Now, obviously, as we look at the Bible, as we look at this context, it cannot mean that Jesus is saying we should not have any judicial justice system in this world. Because in other parts of the Bible, uh, especially in the book of Romans, it actually tells us as Christians that we must submit to the governing authorities and that the governing authorities actually have the power, the sword to judge people and to bring judgment upon the populace and society. So, therefore, the word judge here cannot mean judges and law courts and you know lawyers. It cannot mean as well the word discernment because we already know from the context of the Bible here, just from the Sermon Amount, that Jesus is telling us to discern between good and bad. He tells us, right, that we're not to be like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees. Now, if you don't discern if you have no discernment, then how do you know what's a hypocrite and what is not? It also tells us that we are not to be like the pagans who chase after money. If, you, if you're not like, supposed to be like the pagans who chase after money, then you need discernment, right? To be able to tell who and what attitude is wrong. And here, just in chapter 7, as uh, Fang read to us, it tells us in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not give or throw your pearls to pigs. Now obviously, you need discernment to know who are the dogs and who are the pigs, right? Because without discernment, how then are you to know how to treat these people? In chapter 7, verse 15 to 20, it tells us to watch out for the false prophets. Oh, it's up here. No, is it? Okay, to watch out for false prophets. Now how do you know who the false prophets are unless you have discernment? So, in the, in the Bible, uh, in the book of Revelation, it also tells us that the lack of discernment is actually condemned by God. So there were people in the church in Ephesus and the church in Thyatira who were following wicked men, who were tolerating wicked men, who were following false teaching, who were following false living. And Jesus condemns them. So the word here, judge, cannot mean judicial judgment, nor can it mean discernment. But the context tells us that it means judging in a high-handed, critical, arrogant, and in a, in a spirit of unlovingness. I think, if, uh, do I have the Romans passage up here? So, in the book of Romans, <clears throat> chapter 14, there's a very similar passage to what Jesus says. He says, why then do you judge your brother? Or why do you Look down on your brother. Right? So, the idea of judging here is the idea of sitting above someone 
and looking down at them, thinking that you are better than them. That is the sort of judging that is in view in chapter 7, verse 1. So it says that we should not have a high-handed looking down in judgment of your brother and sister attitude. And verse 2 tells us why, the principle. It says, For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, how do you want God to judge you? On the judgment day, when, when you know, when you die, you stand before the judgment seat of God, how do you want God to judge you? Well, I don't know about you, but I would like God to be merciful, to be generous, to be gentle, to be loving to me, right? I don't want God to, to be harsh and, 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 and to be critical and to be high-handed with me, I would like him to cut me a bit of slack, you know, to deal with me gently and to slowly restore me than to be quick to condemn me. And that's why when we read the Lord's Prayer, right? Remember we did the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive others as God the Father has forgiven you. And that's why when we started the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, we are poor in spirit. We mourn, right? Because we see our own sinfulness. So if we see our own sinfulness, if we see that the way that we want God to treat us is in mercy and love, then God says that is the way that we are to treat uh, other people. I think it's so important for us because it says there that if we judge the wrong way, then that is the attitude that God will have to judge us. To judge us. It goes on then, to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the picture is a very abs absurd picture, right? Because the plank, the word plank here, is uh, literally this picture, right? It's like a plank like this. So, okay, so next one. So imagine someone's eye has a plank sticking out of it. I mean, impossible, right? And, 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 and you've got someone who's got a speck in their eye, which is like, you know, a little flake or something. How, why, why, what gives you the right to, to tell the other person, oh, let me help you respect when you've got this big plank coming out of your eye? It's a bit like, imagine going to your eye surgeon, and then, you know, before the operation, the eye surgeon comes in, and he's got a guide dog for the blind, right? Or, you know, you go to the optometrist, and, uh, the optometrist has this, you know, big, like, blind glasses or something. Then you sort of think, well, hey, this guy can't even see. What is he doing helping me, right? Well, I think the, that's what the picture of the, the Bible is saying. It's saying, look, first of all, don't have a judgmental attitude to other people, a high-handed, critical attitude to other people. But at the same time, also see your own sinfulness. And as you see your sinfulness, then you can help your brother or sister in need. It doesn't say, oh, okay, don't help anybody because I've got this big plank in my eye. 
It says, take the plank out of eye, your eye so that you are able to help your brother or sister. Now, I think that this picture is so important for us to hear today. Because, unfortunately, I think one of the greatest things that destroys churches, destroys Christians, destroys fellowship in our churches, is judgmentalism. Right? It's where we do not encourage one another who are struggling with sin, but rather we sit in judgment over them. So I remember when I went to Switzerland, I have an uncle who lives in Zurich. Actually, Zurich is a beautiful place to live, but it's such a difficult place to, to live, I think. So I stayed with my uncle, and the Swiss have all these rules, you know. They have rules like galore. Do you know you can't flush your toilet after 10 p.m. at night? Yeah, you can't, no? So like, you know, you're in the toilet, you go for, you know, in the middle of the night, you go to the toilet, what do you do? You flush the toilet, right? But you, you can't flush the toilet. Do you know in Switzerland, you can't hang your clothes so that it's outside, so it's visible to your neighbors? And even uh, some of my uh, my missionary friends who are staying there said that if your car is parked by the side of the road and is leaking, someone will come and complain to you. Or even if you cross the garden and you don't use the stone pavements and you decide to make a shortcut, they also complain, right? So my missionary friend who used to be in Singapore, but they're actually Swiss, they went back and they're finding it hard to, to, to fit in. They said the Swiss are hobby policemen. They said everybody there wants to be a policeman, he said, in disguise. And they're always picking on everybody on every little thing you do. And he says, you know, it's very difficult because you never know when you've done something wrong, right? You can't shower past a certain time, you can't flush your toilet, can't walk across the grass, your, your car is leaking a bit, you know, maybe your car your park, didn't car straight enough, who knows, right? But I think that it's very similar for us in church to have the same sort of attitude, to be self-appointed policemen in church, where we have a high-handed, self-righteous attitude, and we're always picking on everybody on every little thing that they do. And in the end of the day, it actually destroys fellowship. And instead of looking at ourselves saying, oh, what do I need to change so that I can help other people in a loving way too? We just spend our time being hobby policemen at church. So I remember uh, there was a book that I have called Leading Better Bible Studies. And uh, next slide. And it talks about the church as a bubble. Okay, The bubble represents trust and respect in the church. So he says that, you know, in the life of the church, the bubble is a very fragile thing. Trust, openness, and respect is a very fragile thing. So imagine I come to church one day, or I go to Bible study, and I share with you that I'm struggling with homosexuality. I struggle with you that I'm attracted to somebody at work of the same sex. Then someone says, oh, you know you're a Christian, you shouldn't feel this way. Don't you know that all the gays go to hell? Right Then I'm like, okay, next week, am I going to share again? No, never, right? Or let's say I come to church and I say, oh, you know, I'm having really problems. Um, this is not true, okay? I'm just this hypothetical. Let's say I'm having troubles. I'm having troubles with my marriage. You know, I'm really having trouble with my marriage, you know? I'm really struggling. And people say, don't you know that when you got married, you made a vow for better, for worse? Then will I share again next week? No, right? Or let's say someone comes to church and struggles 
about uh, their greed or their anger. And then someone says, oh, you know, there's no greedy or angry people in the kingdom of God. You see, in this way, what happens is the, the, the bubble of trust and respect and communication gets eaten away, right? Over time, every time someone makes a high-handed, critical, judgmental statement attacking you, nobody shares. Nobody's willing to share because I'm not going to be encouraged in my struggle. I'm not going to be helped in my sin. And in fact, everybody just puts on this false veneer of everything is alright in my life. And I think that's what this passage is saying is we should not be like that. We should help other people in a loving way. But at the same time, we should also deal with the, the sinfulness in our own lives. Now, it goes on to say in verse 6, uh, what has puzzled uh, many people in verse 6, right? <clears throat> do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, the question that we ask ourselves is, hey, how is this linked to what we just read, right? And what does it mean? Who are the dogs and what are the pearls? What on earth is Jesus talking about? Now, I think that in this passage, it is linked with uh, the, the, the previous uh, six, uh, five verses in the sense where one danger that we have is that we don't want to be judgmental. But the other hand, the other danger is that we become totally wishy-washy, right? In the sense where we have no discernment at all. In the effort to keep verse 1 to 5, we have no discernment about what we do with the gospel. Now, if you look at this passage, the question is, what are the dogs and pigs, and what is sacred? Now, in the ancient world, uh, uh, pigs were not like, uh, uh, for the Jews, they weren't like, you know, the domestic pigs, you know, the cute little, uh, there's some cartoon of pigs, right? Anyway, I can't remember the name. Anyway, but anyway, some pigs can be very cute, right? But anyway, um, it's not like those sort of pigs. They are wild pigs, because the Jews don't keep pigs to eat. Okay, the the only Gentiles eat pigs. So for the Jews, uh, pigs are wild, like the the pigs in Pula Ubin sort of thing, right? They're kind of like the ones you stay away, far far away from when they happen to be close to you. And the dogs also uh, are wild dogs. Now I remember when I was uh, living in Woodlands, that there used to be a pack of stray dogs there, and I was always really scared of them because whenever you ride your bicycle past them, they always start chasing you. So that's the sort of idea of what the dogs and pigs are. This is, these are not your friendly poodles or you know your nice pigs. These are wild, vicious animals. So, the pearls uh, usually are uh, a picture of something valuable, right? The pearl. Valuable to us, uh, but worthless to the pigs and the, and, and, and the dogs, right? So imagine I'm, I'm riding my bicycle in, uh, in, in the woodlands, and I decide that, you know, for some reason, Cheryl doesn't like her pearls, so I bring her pearls with her, maybe, and I decide to feed the pearls to these wild dogs. Right? I, I get off my bicycle and I start feeding the dogs. What would be the dog's reaction? Would they be appreciative of these pearls? Well, first of all, they might think that it's really nice food and then start eating it and then they find it's all these hard, rocky things and then they'll get angry with me and start attacking me, right? Well, that's the picture here. It's saying, don't feed pearls to pigs and dogs because they might turn to you and because they don't appreciate it 
and they might attack you instead. But what are these pearls that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think for most people, the pearls are the good news of the kingdom of, of heaven, the good news of, of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, and a few chapters later, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, this is not definitive because obviously this is a parable and this is many chapters later. But it's the same idea, right? What is really valuable that the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about so far is about the kingdom of God. That is the thing of great value. So Jesus seems to be saying here that unbelievably, because we think that we should share the gospel everybody, and that's the mandate that we come to in Matthew chapter 28, that not everybody needs to hear the gospel at that time of their life. Now why would this be so? Who would be these pigs? Who would be these vicious dogs? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus says about the Pharisees, Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Paul in Titus chapter 3 says, Warn a divisive person once and warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, what it seems to be saying here is that in your life, in my life, there have been times where we meet with people who are just simply anti-Jesus and anti-God in such a vicious and persistently unappreciative way that the more you share the gospel with them, the more they just attack you back. And it seems as if there is no point in sharing the gospel with them. Uh, I don't think that this is an excuse for us to say, well, that's great, man. I finally found a passage in the Bible which tells me that I don't have to share the gospel for Christmas, right? Because everybody I know is like dogs and pigs. So uh, for Christmas, it's all for me only, right? But there are people that I've met, uh, honestly, in my life, who have been so anti-Christ. And every time I shared the gospel with them, they've been so mocking and so, I guess, hard against the gospel that I, I think this passage seems to come into context. Uh, it may be that people who were once like that change and become softened, but there may be times where there are people who are just so hardened their heart against the gospel that Jesus says, look, Turn away from these people and, 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 and uh, don't give them the gospel because you'll just be ripped apart by them because of their behavior and their attitude. Now, verse 7 to 11, uh, Jesus then goes and talks about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask you? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now the first point that we see here is in in asking us to pray, Jesus is saying that God wants to answer. Right? Twice he repeats the idea of ask, seek, and open. Right? Twice he says that. 
in verse uh, 7 to 8, in verse 9 to 11, there's the idea where when you ask for something, when you seek for something, when you knock, it will be given, you will find, you will be open. So three times, if we can't understand what I'm saying, is God will give you this prayer. And he says that because, if you look at this passage, it says that God, our heavenly God, is very different from even our heavenly, our, our earthly fathers. He said, you know what, our earthly fathers, they know what is good to give, even if they themselves are evil. Even if we are evil, we, we don't give chakwetiao to our children with worms, right? Or curry puffs with spiders in it. it just, it's just not something that we do. But how much more God who is perfect and who is perfectly loving and is in every way uh, wanting to give us the best. But the question then is, what are these good gifts that God the Father wants to give us? Some people will say that, oh, God is basically saying you could ask for your Ferrari and if you get your Ferrari, because God wants to give you a Ferrari. Or, ask for anything, a job, a wife, a husband, and God wants to give it to you. you just got to keep asking, you got to just keep knocking, you got to just keep seeking and you'll find. But that's not what it says, right? Read very carefully, it says, God will give good gifts. But the good gifts here are conditioned upon what we've been reading in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. You see, look at how uh, this section ends in verse 12, because actually, Verse 12 sort of ends a section. In verse 12 it says, So in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now here we see that if you look at the uh, slide up here, you see that actually Jesus ends with this section with the same phrase that he used in chapter 5 verse 17, right? Uh, he talks about the law and the prophets in 5.17. He talks about the law and prophets in, in chapter 7, verse 12. And in both those, it talks about how uh, the law and the prophets have been fulfilled by the coming of Jesus and how we are, uh, we are meant to actually live that out. And here again, it talks about how if we live in a way where we do to others what we want others to do to us, it is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So it's almost as if you know what a book end is, right? Maybe you all don't understand because people don't buy books anymore. They only read like stuff on their computers. But a book end is where you have a shelf of books and then you've got these two things at the end holding the books together, right? So it's almost as if verse 17, chapter 5, verse 12, chapter 7, I sort of book ended together. So I think that's what Jesus has in mind when he says, look, ask God, pray to God, and he'll give you these good gifts. And what are these good gifts? It is the things which help you live out the kingdom life, the things which help you to fulfill the law and the prophets, the things which help you to love your neighbor as yourself, to do to them what you would have others do to you. Now, the reason why we are asked to pray for these things, to not hate other people, to love our enemies, not to lust over people's wives, to be able not to be like a hypocrite or to chase after worldly things like the pagans, it's because it is the recognition that we can't do it ourselves. That's why we are poor in spirit. That's why we mourn over sinfulness. And that's why we need to pray for these things because God knows 
that it is hard for us to live this way. But the promise that Jesus gives is that when you pray for God to help you to do these things, if you ask God, if you seek, He will give it to you. He will give it to you. So that's why we are to pray for these things. Because it is hard, isn't it? It's hard to do to others what we would like others to do to ourselves. It's hard to help someone in need when it puts us out. It's hard to not get angry when people do something bad to us. It's hard to be patient with people who are unloving to us. But when it's hard, what should we do then? We should pray to God. We should pray to God with confidence that God will answer our prayers. That when we ask Him, we will receive. We will receive the ability not to be judgmental. We will receive the ability to be discerning. We will receive the ability to know and to do what God wants us to do in His kingdom. So I hope that as we look at this passage, verse 12 in a sense does form a mini conclusion to the Sermon on Mount. But obviously there's more that we'll follow on next week. But it does show us that this is the way that we must live if we are kingdom people. But we don't live it with our own power. We live it with the power that God gives us when we pray to Him. And God has promised us that He will give us the ability to live in this way. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you for indeed, without Jesus, we would not be into your kingdom. We could not enter on our own strength. But through the power and the work of Jesus Christ, we who are poor in spirit, who mourn over the sin of the world, we are able to enter. And dear Father, we come to you today and we pray that for ourselves we would not have a high-handed, condemning, judgmental spirit. One that seeks only to be like a hobby policeman, telling people all the wrong that they are doing, but without love in our hearts to help them to overcome it. We pray for ourselves that indeed we would look more stringently at ourselves so that we would take the plank out of our own eye. And after we've removed the plank, to be able then to help people to remove their own sin in their lives. We pray for wisdom, to be discerning, to know when we meet people who are hardened and vicious against the gospel, to not give them the pearls of the good news, but rather to keep it to ourselves for fear of being torn apart. And we pray that we will always come to you in prayer to ask you for all things, especially things of how to live in your kingdom, as your people. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.